pray for me? The voice is a little shot, not just because of last night. That was the icing on the cake. It's been about two weeks of nonstop using the gift of gab to promote Jesus. Just released a project, a new album called When Sacred Meets Secular. So I have to do a lot of explaining what that means. So I've asked the Lord for extra grace. Matter of fact, can I get something on the stage? Can I get some uh, voice? I don't know if that's possible. Some voice up here so I can lay back a little bit. Look, one, two, one, two. Maybe just a little bit. Lord willing, Lord willing it'll come. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me back. Amen. Um, there's a bond here <clears throat> because I'm, I teach at a predominantly um, majority culture seminary. <clears throat> what I just experienced in here seems to be few and far between. Still praise, still vertical acknowledgement of who he is. There's just when the, when the cultures come together, we collectively do something that no one culture in and of itself can do. When the ethnicities come together, something happens that's different than when you're just with either or, one or the other. And so I just want to let you know that what we just experienced today, uh, I thank you for being able to partake of what just took place in here just a moment ago. Uh, I'm using some preliminary time because um, I'm, I'm sensing the weightiness of this moment. Uh, Again, um, uh, sometimes we live in our own worlds and we forget that there are things going on outside of our world. And uh, so when I come in here, I'm reminded about what's going on uh, in places that are not where I find myself these days. Uh, and so I'm thankful. I want to encourage the young people. Uh, please, young people, just know that the standard is the same for you as it is for your parents. The standard is the same for you as it is for us. The Lord God demands of you the same thing that he demands of us. The Lord God puts us all up under the same category of sinners who need a savior. Young people, the Lord God looks to you and says, I made you to worship me. You know how to worship. You just are un familiar with how to worship me you know how to worship you see worship you turn on TV you see worship you listen to the top whatever it is 40 top 10 you see worship you must join the people of God if you're his in giving the worship we give to others to him When we come together, the Bible says that this is not a building that God resides in. But when we gather together, God is in the building. He indwells his people. We indwell buildings. And so when we come together, we do something here that we can't do at home in our prayer closet. When we come here, yeah. amen, we do something that we can't just close our eyes and just go in in our cars. Yeah. That's good too. Yeah. But that's not the same thing as this. Yeah. 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 Because he said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Yeah. Because there's something we do together that we cannot do alone. I was, I like the grill. I've never cooked a burger on one piece of charcoal, no matter how orange it is. It requires a cluster of charcoals to cook on the grill. It requires a cluster of Christians to show off the glory of Christ in its most robust at Revelation chapter 7, God's going to rally up 
every single person he's redeemed from Adam to the last one born. Then and only then will the fullest expression of God being glorified through his people take place. But right now in smaller pockets, we're just giving people a foretaste of glory divine. So I want to encourage you all, especially young people, don't sleep on this moment. Some of you, I looked around and I saw you sort of arms folded, letting the moment pass you by. This is the time to study up on what it looks like when people who know him ascribe to him the glory that's due his name. There's glory and there's glory that's due him. The Bible says that Cain and Abel brothers, first brothers we see in the Bible, they both brought God something. God rejected one and accepted the other. And the only reason we can think of is that one was not reflective of the glory that was due him and one was just that expression of I hold you in high regard. The Bible says Cain brought something, period. The Bible says Abel brought something, comma, the fat portions. You see that? The Bible embellished what Abel did. Stopped short at what Cain did. Abel brought something, the fat portions. Cain brought something. Sometimes we stand, raise our hands, we do it. And other times we go in. God is worthy of us to go in, not just do it. And Mark in Wall Street wants the young bucks. They want you. They know they can just flash a glorious pair of sneaks and you will. <sighs> they will show you a car and you will. Oh, I can't wait. They glorify it through Photoshop. Knowing that you will be stimulated and you will worship. And then you come in where worship is due the one who's worthy of it and you kind of just we were like you this is not just young people this is anyone in here who's not a worshiper of the one who's due worship we were like you we slept on him. Romans chapter 1 says that we have a bent toward ascribing the glory due God to stuff that's created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good, you can look at caves from early days when men and women were just in their infant stage of hu- human history. And you will see items of worship. Yeah, yeah. It won't be God though. It'll be a frog and a lion. and a... It'll be the sun. Stuff created, getting the worship that's due the one who created it. Yeah, yeah. We broke, we're broke yeah, yeah. until God reorients us to give him what's due him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm just saying, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let this moment pass you by. Now all that's introduction. This glory concept has particularly struck me because I just released the album. And what people want to know is, how is it going to do? And and how they will judge how it's going to do is whether or not it sells, whether or not I wind up with the external demonstration of glory, how is it compared to his? How is it compared to them? Where will you go? And so I feel the sense of glory. Christians. Christians, we have celebrities now more than we can count. Used to be a few of us. Now it's a lot of us. Doesn't take anything to go viral today. Just do something silly, put it up, and you may be the next celebrity. You could just say, hide your wife, hide your kids. And be a celebrity. 
doesn't take much. But we like celebrities because we like glory. We want glory. And yet the Bible would say that we were meant to reflect glory, not take it. We were meant to show glory off, not take it. And I think that what we need today are people who not only understand glory, but they understand grace. I want to keep these two together today and show you in the life of the Lord Jesus the combo. The combo. Glory, elevation. Grace, condescension. Glory is what you see on mountaintops. Grace is what you show off in valleys. Glory is what belongs to the one who's up. But the one who's up, the Bible says, became flesh and came down. And John said, that was when we saw him full of grace and truth. Grace is goodness come down. That's what grace is. It goes back to this idea of a royal person who's going through the village on a, on a pedestal and then some commoner is down there. If they stop the carriage and they come down and shake your hand, they're being gracious. That's the, that's the picture. God who's up here coming down because we have no business trying to go up. Glory and grace combo. Let's pray. Father, Give me grace as we go in and we examine this combo, glory and grace. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so, this idea of glory and grace. Let me. You know we need these two together. When somebody said, you ought to get this barbecue. It's the greatest barbecue you've ever tasted. I said, well, let's go. Let me get that barbecue. I went to the place, I smelled barbecue. Guess what I wanted? Barbecue. Looked up at the menu. How much for the barbecue? Okay. Pockets were a little limited. Looked at the price. I said, hmm. But all of a sudden, some catfish caught my eye. I hadn't had catfish in a while. I said, wow, pastor. I said, I wish I could have barbecue and catfish. I looked over at the people. I said, what's up with the catfish? I want some catfish. They said, why don't you get a combo? Barbecue and catfish. This combo, glory and grace. We want glory. We reflect glory. But we need also grace. And there's a, there's a period in the life of Jesus where you see both of these come together in a most pivotal in a most vivid display. Turn to Mark chapter 9. 2 all the way to 29. It's going to be a lot of Bible. You may have to get the DVD, the recording. I was going to say tape. I used to say that. Get the tape. I'm dating myself. I'm dating myself. Get the tape and rewind. We don't say that anymore, do we? She said, rewind, I remember that. Amen. Mark 9, for the sake of time, I'm going to be going through it. I'm not going to read it all once. I'm going to just go through it piece by piece. Please refer to your Bibles as we do it. I want to show you two things. I want to show you glory on the mountain, and I want to show you grace in the valley. I want to show you glory on the mountain. I want to show you grace in the valley. First of all, we're going to look at glory on the mountain. It is the glory of Christ on the mountain. Let's start with verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. I'm going to stop right there. After six days, Jesus took three people, Peter, James, and John, and took them up a high mountain. What is taking place right here? After six days, what had just transpired was Jesus spent eight chapters in Mark's gospel demonstrating he's got power and therefore he's worthy of glory. Jesus had spent the first eight 
chapters of Mark defeating disease, defeating death, defeating uh, uh, demons, defeating everything that had hindered man. Anything that gets the best of man, Jesus Christ came on earth and defeated because he is a perfect man. He's God man. All eight chapters proves that he is a powerful Messiah. Mark starts off, he's the only one that says this is the gospel of God. The gospel of God, he's the only one that uses that term. The theologians say he probably was the one that invented the genre known as gospel. The way we get gospels, Mark was the first one probably to come up with it. He says, I want to show you the gospel. I want to show you the good news. God the king came on earth and defeated the powers that had us under reign. So when he shows up, he says, you know, in your world, disease is rampant. When I show up, disease must cease. In your world, death is a reality. But when I show up, death must be reversed. He says, in your world, storms get the best of you. But in my world, I say, peace, be still. I'm a different kind of king. And in my kingdom, things are different. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus did, right? Eight chapters of that. You would think a man like that would use that power and that glory to escape ever having to go low, get low, suffer. But he didn't. Chapter 8 pivots. He says, who do people say that I am? They said, you're this one, you're that one, you're the other one. He said, who do you say I am? You're conquering king, you're Christ. He said, all right. And then it says, and then he told them plainly that he must suffer, be rejected. Die, but rise. That's what happened. The look on his disciples' face was a look of dejection and disappointment. How could our conquering king, who's stronger than everything that has faced man, say he must be rejected, he must suffer, and he must die? That doesn't compute to Peter, so it says he took him to a side and he rebuked Jesus. Not a good idea. But he did it. He rebuked Jesus. He said, don't claim that. Don't claim that. You are not going to die. You are not going to be rejected. You are not. Jesus said, get behind me. I must. Why? Because Jesus is about to display that glory and power doesn't exempt God's people from grace and from going low. He was going to show you the combo. So he says, there's in chapter 9, verse 1, some of you will not taste death before you see the kingdom's power. So you'll know that it's not because I don't have the power to avoid the cross, but it is the plan to not avoid the cross. After six days, he took them up on a mountain. That's where we are right now. After six days, up on a mountain. Mountains in the Bible were a place of revelation, unique insight. Martin Luther King, on the eve of his assassination, had a a speech where he said, I've been to the mountaintop, and I've seen that basically my mission would not fail, that we would sit around the table in harmony and justice would be realized. What he meant was, I've elevated my perspective God has helped me to see above and beyond my current situation. God did that often in the Bible. He did that to secure his people and to teach them that their view is too low. They must go up as though it were and adopt God's viewpoint. Exodus 19.20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and that's where he got the Ten Commandments. God reveals to him his, his, his will, his desire for his people up on a mountain. 24. Exodus 24, 15 to 16. Then Moses went up to the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. Sound familiar? 
And the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The mountaintop was a place to elevate your mindset, elevate your perspective, call you from the mundane, your, your place, and bring you up to his place so you can have his view and not your view. I'm just showing you what's here. This is what you need in order to embrace the combo. For you to embrace, I've got the power. But the power does not exempt me from laying the power aside for the sake of whatever the the mission is. I've got the privilege, but I might have to pause my use of the privilege for the sake of what the mission is. I like comfort, but I may have to pause my comfort because the mission requires that I be inconvenienced. This is Christian thinking, but you need to go up to the mountain in order for you to see that this is what God's people do. So Jesus Christ goes and he takes his disciples up to the mountain. Verse 3 says, and he was transfigured, well two, and he was transfigured before them three and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus showing the glory of his person, glory on the mountain, showing the glory of his person. He himself was transfigured, which means to be metamorphosized, to be changed. What changed about Jesus? All he did was show them that the Jesus you've been seeing is more than meets your eye. He normally was low key, but now he's all light. He normally was meager, but now they see his internal might. He normally looked like a carpenter or a rabbi, but now they see a king and the righteous one. He normally was regular, but now they see radiance. Is that the Jesus that you see? Certainly isn't the Jesus that the world sees. They don't know this Jesus. But Peter, who was on the mountain, later on wrote a letter, 2 Peter, and he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Looked like just a man, but on that mountain we saw majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father, though he was dishonored over and over again by the religious leaders. He said, and the voice was borne by him, to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We heard the voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He said he took us up so we could see Jesus in all of his glory because we're going to need to know that the glory is his. But then be blown away that he will not cash in on the glory but will still accept what it means to come off of the mountain of glory to the valley where he must extend grace. The combo. It was here that he moves to barefaced selfies. You know barefaced selfies. That's when you take all the glory off and show us what really is. Tell me something. Now, because we know it's barefaced, we let you go. We be like, amen. I I see it. I see it. But we can't wait till the glory comes back. Jesus takes the glory, the the, the cosmetics off, and the beauty explodes. All the meek and lowly gives way to the mighty. This is Jesus. They don't know. Oh, young people, I wish you knew that hip-hop doesn't know. Because if they knew, their raps would be different. Trust me. Their raps would be different. This is what Peter and John and James needed. They needed to see that Jesus who told them I must be rejected. That doesn't make sense that I must suffer. That doesn't make sense that I must die. That really doesn't make sense. He says, don't worry because I still have the glory. I'm going to teach you that the one with the glory still is also the one with the grace. And in my glory, I radiate. But in my grace, I condescend and get low. This is what we need people who do both. Who shine, but don't let that shine keep them from coming down and serving.
He showed the glory of his person. Not long ago, there was an anonymous tipper. He used to go around and leave tips. He would spend up. So, so, so he was just going around and people were serving tables and they would notice that he, he, this person left a tip. One was a $2,900 bill. He ran up a $2,900 bill. He left a $10,000 tip. Some of y'all are like, well, I'm a server. Where is he at? <laughs> I'm saying that. Yeah, where is that? I'll serve for the moment. Like, I'll just be like, can I take your order? <laughs> Slip back into my gear later. One time it was an $88 bill. Left a $3,000 tip. One time it was a $24 bill. Left a $500 tip. By the time it finished, $50,000 worth of tips. And the only thing he would leave behind was at tips for Jesus. Would not reveal who he was. But wouldn't you want to know who is this person that has been so good? Who is this person that has been so generous? Who is this person that would give me what I don't deserve? I'm sure your service was not all that. I don't care how much water you brought. This is what Jesus is saying to his people. Wouldn't you want to know who it is that woke you up? Wouldn't you want to know who it is that gave you what you don't deserve? Don't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to know the one that came down so you could rise up? Wouldn't you want to know? Jesus says, it's me. But for a while, he tucked it. For a while, he tucked that glory. A Porsche doing 55 First of all, it makes me mad. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me I mean, you're in the passing lane. Tell me something. And it's a Porsche. Move if you ain't going to use it. But it's not from a lack of power that a Porsche does 55. It's for some purpose. Maybe he's chilling. I mean, it could be that, but either way you go, he got what it takes. All you got to do is lift the hood up and realize what he got. The Bible says it was on the mountain that the glory of his person, he lifted the hood up and say, look what I got going for me. I got light, internal light. I got glory, intrinsic and not reflective. We reflect glory. Jesus has glory. He said, I got to show you this. So when you see me doing 55 on my way to Golgotha, you won't think it's because I can't. They said, show yourself. If you're God, get off the cross. He said, "Uh uh-uh. It ain't because I can't get off the cross. I won't get off the cross because I got glory, but I'm called to give that glory a pause so I can give you grace. the glory of his person and therefore we must keep the glory of Christ in perspective we think that the glory is for us to use but God often takes the glory and pauses it verse 4 there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. This is a scene where Peter now wakes up. He sees this glorious event and he starts thinking, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to say. I'm scared to death. But let me just say something. Good thing I'm here. I could build y'all a tent and y'all could have a party. Now, I used to think that Peter was trying to throw himself in the party. Like, let's let's make some tents and let's chill. He's glorious. 
Our Messiah who we trust in is glorious. Let's chill right here. We don't got to go back down. I like it right here. Moses and Elijah showed up, so he's in VIP. Let's not mess this up. That's not what it says. It says he was terrified. In the Bible, when radiant glory shows up, people are scared. Not giddy. He's terrified. Remember when the children of Israel saw him descend on the mountain and he spoke? They said, Moses, don't have God speak to us. You speak to us. When Isaiah saw him radiant, he said, woe is me. I'm a wretch undone. When God's glory is in full bloom, we don't want to hang around. We want to get ghosts. So it wasn't that Peter wanted to hang around, but he thought Jesus did. Jesus, you probably want this moment to stay because if I had that glory, I would not want to go back down where they're always harassing us. Jesus had spent all of his ministry being harassed by people who did not believe that he was Messiah because he had that Messiahship tucked. Glory in perspective. Luke says that Elijah and Moses was talking about his departure. His departure is the cross. So this glory is not to avoid the cross. This glory moment was to strengthen Jesus for the cross. Oh, this is going to be deep. They tell you I'm in seminary, so I might as well use it. The mountaintop was to gain strength from God's glory so that you can go back down into the valley, not so you can bypass the valley. Listen, listen, Moses, Exodus 33, he was, God said, I'm going to destroy them. I'll start over. I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel. I don't want to mess with this people anymore. Moses was upset, but Moses says, don't do that, Lord. But I am tired too. I need your glory. God says you can't see my glory. Put him in a rock. Passed by. Uncovered it. Let him see the aftermath of God's glory. God's glory strengthened him. It radiated him. He went back down and handled business. Moses. Elijah. The other guy that shows up here. In Kings, 1 Kings 19, Elijah is ready to die because he's tired of the ministry. Jezebel wants to kill him. He's already done good, but he's weary. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 wants to die, but God says, come up to the mount. I'm going to show you my glory. And in a whisper, he radiates and enlivens Elijah. And Elijah, through that experience of God's glory, goes down and anoints his predecessor, his successor, Elisha. In other words, the glory is to strengthen us for the valley. The mountain gives us the ability to go back to the valley because we're talking combo. Not just glory, not just grace, glory, grace, the combo. Okay. I know what y'all saying. Okay. He too deep. Come back up. Here's the point. Glory. You need a glorious Christ. But you also need a Christ crucified. We need a king. But we need a lamb that was slain. And even as we have the one who is the king who let himself be killed by the commoners you and I must enjoy the mountaintop with Christ but not forget that we were called to the mountain but we live in the valley we're called up in the mountain but we're called to live in the valley one day heaven will be the new heavens and new earth will be 100% mountaintop. This is not heaven yet. We've been left for a mission. 
So 9 to 13 will show you them coming down. Look at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, the Lord Jesus was committed not only to the mountain, but down the valley. God has to basically interrupt Peter who wanted to park in this glory moment. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You're not listening, Peter. Listen to him. He's got to go to the cross. Verse 9, they came down off the mountain. So now we're going to leave the mountain with his glory and go into the valley where there's grace. 14 to 29. First, note the contrast of the valley to the mountain. Verse 14, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Imagine, you just left a mountain where there's glory. You just left the mountain. Elijah and Moses, God the Father shows up. No doubt the Holy Spirit was present. A triune party along with old heads VIP your trusty disciples witnessing it you feeling good you come down from there and the what do you meet scribes arguing messing with your other disciples notice the contrast from sweet communion on the mountain to beef and friction in the valley Fellowship with the Godhead to annoying scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders. From the power of the kingdom being displayed on the mountain to impotent disciples who we're going to find out could not fulfill their mission. From an extraordinary scene, an otherworldly scene on the mountain to the stuff of every day in the valley. From the heavenly scene to the hellishness, we're going to see the devil here. The hellishness on earth. Notice the contrast. No wonder we want to stay in the mountaintop. No wonder we like church better. You ever been mugged in church? But you've been mugged out there. There's some exceptions. Like when that guy went in there and shot everybody up in the church. There are some exceptions, but basically, this is the place of safety. And out there is the place of suffering. No wonder we want to stay in here. You can't stay in here. We got to leave the mountain. We got to leave the mountain. We've been called to show off God's grace in the valley. Not only the contrast, notice conflict in the valley, crisis in the valley. Verse 15, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. Verse 16, and he said to them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whoever it, excuse me, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And when he and he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Conflict in the valley, crisis in the valley. This is where you and I live. Demons in the valley. The spirit who's under it all. There's you and there's me and then there's the demons that are under it all. This is where you live, isn't it? This is where I live. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But a note about Satan. Though he's at work, we can't sleep on him. He's a foe. Unmatched apart from the Godhead. Satan only wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But the Bible says that he shows up decked out in a light suit, that he, he appears as an angel of light. The devil rarely shows up in his red suit with the horns and the pitchfork. The devil rarely shows up to you talking about you should kill yourself or kill him. Rarely. He usually tells you, hey, if God, I mean, why are you hungry? Why don't you turn, turn stones into bread? Hustle. Make something for yourself. Something to help you out. The devil always, come on, you want some glory? Don't take the long route. Take the shortcut. I know a way. This is the devil. In the Bible, this is the devil. Did God say you? God just knows that you're going to know what he knows. Why don't you eat that fruit? 
the devil wants you and I don't sleep on his techniques. But he wants to destroy you. So it says that this devil made the boy throw epileptic fits. He grinds his teeth, he foams, and he slings them. One time he threw them into the fire, we're going to see. Tries to kill him. That's the devil. But Martin Luther, the reformer, said even the devil is God's devil. So in other words, the devil is on the payroll, but he's not getting paid. We don't have to worry about him, but he's in the valley. He's in the valley. Contrast, crisis. But then look at this grace. Lord Jesus is tired, fed up, but he still says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, verse 20. And when the spirit saw him, Immediately, it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. That's what the devil does. And Jesus asked his father, oh, how long? Notice that Jesus, in spite of his fatigue... In spite of his frustration, he still shows grace because he's strengthened in the mountain, but he lives in the valley. He gets affirmed on the mountain, this is my beloved son, but then he gets confronted in the valley. Here is this demon. Notice the humanity of Jesus. He gets frustrated. He doesn't like faithlessness. How long must this faithless generation, how long? The Lord doesn't care that you have been in church all these years and you still don't believe. The Lord does care, but he's gracious. He cares that he's shown you a lot and you still don't follow him, but he's gracious. He cares that you have a lot of Bibles and Bible apps, but you still don't read. He cares. He knows that you've heard a lot of sermons, but still don't obey. He cares, but he's gracious. So the guy says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. Jesus said, if you can. If you can. See, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) I've been spending eight chapters showing I can. I also spent eight chapters in Mark showing you I care. He both can and cares. If I need something, I appreciate that you care, but I need you to also can. (laughs) Combo. Because you might can, but not care. And you might care, but you can't can. I need you to can and care. Immediately the father, verse 24, the father of the child, we coming in for a landing. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Here's the secret today, family. Look to heaven and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. If you believe, if you don't believe, say, help me to believe. I was talking to this young girl on the plane. She was preparing to sing for her grandfather's funeral. She was singing Amazing Grace by John Newton. I just heard, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. In grace my heart relieved. I said, what you know about that song? She didn't know. She said, I know you can play all the keys in black and you can play the song. So apparently you can play Amazing Grace with only black keys. I said, well, let me tell you a little more about that song. And I began to tell her that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that John Newton was a slave uh, owner. John Newton was a vulgar sailor. That John Newton was a profane man. And he was blown away that God, who can save, cares enough to save even a wretch like him. So he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Any wretches in the building who God has been gracious to? Amazing. 
amazing that he would save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I believe, but help my unbelief. Then Jesus sees the crowd coming. Not one for a spectacle, not one for just platform. The Lord Jesus quickly heals him because he cares about the person, not the perks of platform. If it would have been us, it would have been like, oh, a crowd's coming. All right, just, just hold them, hold them off, hold them off. Gather around, prepare to be amazed. I'm about to handle this. Handle this. I, 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 Dragonfly Jones him. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't that like Jesus? He cares, and he can. He raises him up. He gets rid of the demon because even though there's been faithlessness, conflict, and crisis in the valley, the one who's got glory has also got grace. The devil is no match for the Lord Jesus. And the disciples then ask him, verse 28, and when he had entered the house, so they leave. The disciples and Jesus leave from the scene. Verse 28. He entered the house with his disciples and asked them privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As I close, there's glory on the mountaintop. It's meant to be fuel for us to live in the valley. Be with God, learn of God, see him for who he is. Exalt in him, praise him, sing to him, read of him, feast on him, but then go down into the valley as though it were and display him, show him, imitate him, give him, preach him, and you must do it in total dependence on him. In Mark chapter 6, they went out and they cast out demons. Why could we not cast out this demon? He said, because I led you right into one that's too big for you when you're on your independent game. You, they probably went out there and said, we did this before. Watch this. Instead of depending on him in this moment, they relied on what happened in that moment. What I used to do should be enough for what I need to do. What you did was what you did. The moment requires a fresh new dependence. Prayer. We don't believe in the t-shirt that says, when all else fails, pray. We believe in the t-shirt that says, pray before everything fails. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, pray like it depends on God and then get up and work like it depends on you. These things only come when you're moment by moment dependent. The Lord Jesus is the perfect example of the combo. Full of glory. Full of grace. May that help reorient us. Christian, it's not wrong for you to want comfort. It's not wrong for you to want to show off glory. It's not wrong for you to want people to see you in a positive light. It is wrong for you to use that to exempt yourself from the conflict and the crisis and the needs of the regular ordinary. May God help us to not seek glory, but reflect it and not be the who are not marked by the grace of giving that glory away. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the offer extends to you to trust in Christ who showed himself to be very God of very God. Radiant light. He says, trust me, from the young people to the older people. Let's bow our heads.
close our eyes. Gracious God and Father, what can we say? What can we say? You are God, and we're not. But you made us in your image and likeness, capable of reflecting you, imitating you, communing with you. Would you move in this place even now? Move people to trust Christ. Move people to see him for who he is. Thank you for where we are. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for the saints. Thank you for the visitors. Thank you for those who are in need of grace. Thank you for those who proclaim the God of glory. Thank you for those who seek your glory above all. And right now, Lord God, if there's anyone whose heart is in a receptive manner, would you allow the gospel to sink in deeply? If you're here today and your life is not marked by a true surrender to Jesus Christ, if you would not say that Jesus is the one you relate to on a day-to-day -day basis, he's more like the religion the religious figure in your head. He's more like the man upstairs. He's more like the God who's up there somewhere. Yeah, you say, yeah, I know he's blessed me because the blessings have rained down, but you and him don't have a moment-by-moment -moment walk. You're not dependent on him. You've never turned from your sin and embraced his rule and reign in your life. You've never asked him to forgive you. You've never asked him to help your unbelief. And today you sense God tugging, you sense God meeting you, you sense that his goodness and his grace is not out of grasp, but it is coming down to where you are and you want this Lord, you want this Savior, then would you slip up your hand and identify yourself? Amen. Is there anyone? Amen. Is there anyone? I'm going to turn it over because it's not you saying the prayer it's your heart latching on to Jesus the Bible said if you believe confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that he died and was raised from the dead you'll be saved if that's your belief today you're saved but if we know about it we'd like to walk with you if we know that you've done that, we'd like to walk with you. If there's anyone in here that's placing their faith in Jesus and they don't want to walk alone, why don't you slip out of your seat and come up here? This church would like to pray. Why don't you slip out of your seat right now? And why don't you come up here? If you're trusting Christ but you don't want to walk alone, if there's a prayer team, if there's pastor leadership, 